0: Welcome to the Bards FM Podcast. This is Scott Kesterson, and tonight you're listening to A Conversation with Nate Kane. This war is real. Fighting is everything. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Tempt not the righteous man to draw his sword. Conviction, righteousness, ruthlessness. To understand tolerance, you have to understand the line of intolerance. War is the teacher, soldiers are the students. They become the bards of war. Good evening, patriots. And today is Thursday, January 19th in the year 2023. Tonight we have a very special guest, Nate Kane. And for those of you that are not familiar with Nate Kane, he was one of the preeminent whistleblowers from inside the FBI. It's been a while since I've had him on. Nate's a good friend, and he's been through a lot, and also has some big announcements to make. And we'll get to that very shortly. In this crazy world, especially as we're watching what's going on in the World Economic Forum, you want to make sure that you're keeping yourself well-prepared and well-prepped, as well as making sure you're securing your income. The Federal Reserve is making a move right now to start securing banks, and the banking system is being rebuilt right under our very nose. And what that means, we have no idea, other than the fact that banking as we know it, money as we know it, is about to change. So be well prepared. Are the Biden administration's New Year's goals of tax and spend and turned a blind eye to inflation? at odds with your goals of securing your savings? When you finally had enough of the games government is playing with your savings in retirement, diversify into gold with Birch Gold. I am tired of my money being impacted by stupid decisions by leaders in Washington. For over 5,000 years, gold has withstood inflation, geopolitical turmoil, and stock market crashes. And here's the great news, you can still get it. In fact, you can own gold and silver in a tax-sheltered retirement account. Birch Gold makes it easy to convert an IRA or 401k into an IRA in precious metals. Here's what you need to do. Text the word BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898 to claim your free info kit on gold. With almost 20 years experience converting IRAs and 401ks into precious metals IRAs, Birch Gold can help you. Protect yourself with gold today by texting BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to the number 989898. With an A-plus rating with the Better Business Bureau, thousands of happy customers, and countless five-star reviews, secure your future with gold. Start today with a free info kit. There is zero obligation to make this request. Just text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. Birch Gold. Again, text BARDS, B-A-R-D-S, to 989898. This is the best way to start the new year. Text Bards to Birch Golds 989898. Bards to 989898. Now, listen, we wouldn't be anywhere in this world had it not been for Al Gore, because I think you know that he invented the internet by himself, I think. And now he's warning us again of the disasters that face us. Hang on, here it comes.
1: We're still putting 162 million tons into it every single day. And the accumulated amount is now trapping as much extra heat as would be released by 600,000 Hiroshima-class atomic bombs exploding every single day on the earth that's what's boiling the oceans creating these atmospheric rivers and the rain bombs and sucking the moisture out of the land and creating the droughts and melting the ice and raising the sea level and causing these waves of climate refugees predicted to reach one billion in this century look at the xenophobia and political authoritarian trends that have come from just a few million refugees what about a billion
0: wow (laughs) wow I'm just going to warn you that if you go to the oceans, be very careful, <laughs> because apparently if you put your toe in there, you're going to boil your skin off. Because that's what's causing the problems. These atmospheric rivers—it's all coming from the boiling oceans. My goodness, I'm—I'm now—I'm suddenly don't know. What, I have to rethink that trip to the beach, and that's why you need to stock up on food because it's not the boiling rivers, it's the lunatic like this that think they're in control. Patriots, you can hide your head in the sand or you can face the future head on. Those are your two options. If you want to remain free and self-reliant despite whatever happens in the world, you need to get yourself enough emergency food so you can survive the coming chaos in our society. You can fully expect food shortages if everything breaks down. And if you don't already have enough food on hand, you will regret it. So do yourself a favor and go to preparewithbards.com and save $200 on a three-month emergency food kit from My Patriot Supply. They're the nation's largest preparedness company and they're knocking $200 off the regular price of their three-month kit to help make it affordable for families who are feeling the pain of inflation right now. At this price, get one kit per person for your family These kits are in stock, and they ship fast and free. Save $200 per kit when you go to preparewithbards.com, preparewithbards.com. Patriots, I've said it so many times, food security is the foundation of personal sovereignty. So head on over to preparewithbards.com and take advantage of this amazing offer. Do it today. All right, Patriots, that's preparewithbards.com. You won't be disappointed. And with that, let me introduce to you Nate Kane. Well, Patriots, today is a really awesome day because we have a very special guest that has not been on for quite a while. Probably one of the preeminent whistleblowers and one of the great Patriots of this era, and that's Nate Kane. And if you don't know the story of Nate Kane, you'll get a little bit of it today, but I highly encourage you to go back and look at some of the previous interviews Nate has done on this channel. But Nate has truly been on the inside of the beast. And he's put his life on the line, not unsubstantially, to bring the truth to light and do so within the walls of the FBI. And so it's going to be a real interesting conversation. I think we're all going to enjoy today. And he's got some great news to share as well. So Nate, welcome to the show. How are you doing?
2: I'm doing great. Thank you so much for having me. And it has been too long
0: definitely has been well nate let's just kind of just give everybody a framing of your background just kind of an overview of kind of where you were and where you are today sure
2: sure so um in 2017 uh, i was working for the fbi and i had a long career up to that point in cybersecurity. um i actually prior to the f prior to the fbi i was working for marforce cyber as part of a cyber protection team I was detached to NSA doing some really cool stuff and going after hackers. And the schooling and the training that I went through, it it attracted the attention of the FBI and uh, and they hired me to come work for them, and they offered me a lot of money to come and uh, leave what I was what I loved doing to come work on uh, implementing their vulnerability management system at the FBI. And so that's where that's how I ended up at the bureau. I was working there as a contractor in, in 2017. Uh, it's simply I, I came across some documents that I wish I had never seen. And I ended up uh, to make a very difficult choice, but I chose to blow the whistle. And so I had two disclosures. One was directly to the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence through a senior staffer to Devin Nunez. And then the second disclosure, after they asked me to go back in and get more information um, I ended up coming out and lost contact with them, so I had to hire an attorney and go through uh, the official Intelligence Community Whistleblower Protection Act, and I filed a complaint, a whistleblower complaint through uh, Theo Jig Horowitz's office, and uh, and eventually it went up. It was certified, went to both the House and the Senate Select Committees on intelligence and then you know i don't remember if it was three or four months after that i got raided by the fbi and the rest is history
0: yes it is you have survived something that i think most people find amazing because you actually were inside and then are now outside still able to work for the government which is amazing I know in our conversations, you're also a deep person of faith. So I think there's a lot of that inner inner works within that story. And I think also just your persistence of truth, but I'll let you kind of share that.
2: So there, there was a lot of, um, there's been many times I've thought to myself, why did all this happen? And cause I don't think anybody wants to go through something like this. It may seem glorious or exciting for those that have never been through it, but having your home turned upside down, having being a target, uh investigation that could essentially take away your career or put you in jail. That's always very scary. And then also, you know, being a target because once the FBI raided my house, they they leaked that raid to the I think it was the New York Times. And um and they were gonna do a hit piece on me. And so another uh it was the Daily Caller it was another news agency that reached out to my, to my attorney and um, told him, Hey, you know, we got, we got wind that there's going to be a hit. piece coming out on your client. So he ended up you know, giving the story to them so that we could get our side of it out there. And for somebody who prior to that I had never had anything more than maybe two, People following me on Twitter. I, the only reason I even had a Twitter account was so that I could follow what was, you know, the crazy thing Trump was going to say to, you know, to irritate the left. And um, and I had very very little social media presence because of my my job and my clearance and, and all of that. So, um, but but going through that experience, um, you know, I think God allows us to go through those things because without. Pain and without sacrifice, we really can't grow. And I think I had become, just like many people are, you know, comfortable. And it was an opportunity for God to grow me, to teach me 100% total dependence on Him, and to put me in a place where I had to trust Him. At every step of the way, I had to pray and ask Him about whether to turn to the left or turn to the right, you know, whether to talk to this person or not talk to that person. And it became a period of like three years of just nonstop praying and seeking his face. And, um, it really grew me, but it also coming out of that and overcoming it without any damage to my clearance, without any damage to my freedom, it strengthened me it it hardened me if you will it put me in a place where i learned that i really truly can depend on god as long as we are in god's will he will either get us out of the jam that we're in or he will sustain us with what we need to get through it and and that's what i came out of that with and now uh here i am you know it's been over 5 years now um, so you know, I'm past the past the point of, um, you know, when they can, you know, really bring any kind of charge, which would have been, you know, BS charge anyways. But nonetheless, you know, they don't tell you when they're investigating you that, oh yeah, we've we're done investigating. You. It just it just it hangs over your head from now into eternity. And so really the only kind of like day when you can kind of take a deep breath and go, okay, thank God, this is over is when you know you've reached the statute of limitations and that day has passed.
0: That's awesome. Nate, before we go deeper, because there's a lot of topics I want to cover today with regards to the FBI and some other things, but you also have some pretty big news, and I want to share that early on for people to hear, so go ahead.
2: Yeah, so uh, in November, I think it was right after the midterm elections, I was praying with my family. And I just said a simple prayer. I said, God, I pray that you would raise up richest men and women to run for office. And I was disappointed, like I think many people were in, in the outcome of this last election. There were some races in particular in Pennsylvania and Arizona that I was really hoping you know, would have gone a different way. Uh, so I was praying and just asking God to motivate people to run. And I heard this voice in my head say, "What about you?" So my my first reaction was, "Oh, hold on a minute, Lord, wait a minute." (laughs) (laughs) Look, I just—I've been there. I just—I just got past the five-year mark. I just got my company to to a a level of success where it's it's just now beginning to kind of take off because I eventually ended up starting my own cyber company. Um, you know, I I just. Finally, we, we moved out of Maryland. We moved to West Virginia a couple of years ago. We finally kind of got settled here in West Virginia. And so I, I wasn't really expecting that response. So my first reaction was to do what I think a lot of people do when they sense that God may be calling them to something is, is they question it. And so I just said, well, you know, I can't, can't run for governor. I can't run for Senator because I haven't lived here for five years. So the only thing I could run for was Congress, and for me to do that, I'd have to take a pay cut. <laughs> and then on top of it, I'm looking at this and I'm going, "Well, the guy that just won uh, has, has had a pretty good voting record. I don't see you know him doing anything that you know warrants me trying to run against him." And so I just said, "Well, Lord," I said, "If you want me to run, fine, but." You'll have to create a booth. And I was thinking like four years down the road, six years down the road, something like that. But two days later, I was writing my congressman, uh, Alex Mooney, and I was typing up a message, or I was getting ready to type up a message for him. And I'm typing in his name into Google, and it pops up, you know, with the little drop down telling you what's going on with him in the news. And it says, Two minutes ago, Alex Mooney announces he is running against, uh, running for senator mansion seat in 2024. So I was like, "Oh wow, I guess God called me on it." So, so let me make, be clear. You know, I believe that God has called me to run. That doesn't necessarily mean I'm going to win, but I certainly am running as if I'm going to win, and that's that's my intent. So I uh, I am going to be running for the U.S. House of Representatives for the Second District of West Virginia, and uh, I'm went ahead and I filed with the FEC, and I've started my campaign, and we're off to a uh, to a good start. I mean, it's very early, there's a lot to do, so much to do. I mean, I thought I was busy running my own business, you know, and uh, and now I've got this on top of that, and I'm, I'm exhausted. But <laughs> it is, it is. Uh, it's it's interesting. Uh, I've already traveled with my wife across the state to every county in our district. There's 27 counties, and I've had an opportunity to meet a lot of really, really neat people, and learn about the issues that are affecting them. And it's surprising. There's so many things that like expectations that I had, and I'm finding that it's very different than what I thought. There's a lot of people um, think, you know, when I first decided to kind of write down my campaign mission, if you will, or my statement, and I have a website, it's natecane.win. And when I wrote down the introduction and my bio, and where I was on the issues and everything, it took a little while to do that, but I finally got all that down and put it up on the website. I wasn't really sure you know, how that was going to go with people, you know, how how people were going to feel about it because I had some very strong views about things. I mean, the number one issue for me has been the constitution and just how far as a nation we've strayed from it. And the need, you know, the need you, you've, you've done it. Anybody that served in the military, anybody serving in government has taken that oath to uphold and defend the U.S. Cons- or the Constitution of the United States against all enemies, foreign and domestic, to me, that is the single greatest issue facing America today. Is that we are under threat right now from socialists, from authoritarian,s from you know these globalists, these elites that essentially want to unravel and destroy everything forefathers have fought for to make this country free. And that quite frankly, the things that make this nation place where everybody on earth wants to come to and flee to those very things are, are in jeopardy right now. And so that is the central issue for me. There's a lot of people that I'm sure, you know, are concerned about the economy and are you know concerned about inflation and, and I am as well. But those issues still stem from a bigger problem, which is a failure to, to uphold and defend the constitution. Decisions that have been made to redistribute wealth, decisions that have been made to violate our our rights, all of these things are, are pulling us away from things that lead us to greater security and greater prosperity as a nation. So that has been at the heart of the message. When And so when I've gone and talked to people, I'm surprised at just how overwhelmingly that message resonates with people. I think people are seeing it with their own eyes. They're waking up. They're realizing, you know, we're in some serious trouble as a country. And there's a lot of people that are moving to places like Florida and moving to places like West Virginia where they perceive they might actually be able to get their freedoms back. I just met a couple who moved in across the street and, you know, and I was we were talking with them and, and actually uh, my, my in-laws, uh, they've up to go, um, you know, bring a gift by and just say hello. And they, my, my, uh, my mother-in-law is like my greatest, you know, right. She's out there telling everybody, Oh, my son in law's running for Congress. So she goes over to these brand new people who we don't even know and she tells them, you know, that I'm running for Congress and that there's gonna be a meet the candidate uh night at our house. And so they were enthusiastic about it. Turns out they're from New York, from New York City, and they they moved here from Long Island to get away from you know the degradation of their constitutional rights. They moved here for freedom. They are refugees from New York City. And they said that, you know, while they were living there, I got a chance to talk to them, that they had to, like, be secretive, you know, about the fact that they voted for Trump. They had to, like, hide that fact. And they had, like, certain words that they were, you know, ask or certain, like, little feeder questions that they would throw out there to try to see if somebody was like-minded, you know, and they would secretly figure out, you know, occasionally if somebody was a conservative, they had to live like under that level of oppression for, for some time for fear of being canceled, maybe losing their job, you know, being, you know, becoming the pariah of the neighborhood. And so I've seen this thing happening, this phenomenon happening in our country where there's this division you know people are they're moving to places where there's others that are like-minded with them and uh, so that's an interesting thing um, I'd be I'd be very interested you know, to speak to somebody who is a scholar of the civil war find out if there was any of that kind of thing going on prior to the civil war because it sur- surely seems like we're far more divided now in in some ways like you know we're more divided on these these issues of freedom and, um, you know, in the constitution now, I think than than we've been for some time, but we're also now, I think moving in a direction to where we're placing ourselves around people who are far more united, you know? So like, I, I look at where I live now, where I lived before it was kind of a mixed bag. You know, I had some neighbors that were liberals, some that were conservative now, God forbid anybody ever try to take this street because all my neighbors are far far more well armed than I am, <laughs> and, and and I live in an area where it's it is Trump country here, and it is uh, very very much pro-freedom, pro freedom, pro pro constitution, and you know West Virginia is kind of the, I would say like you know their their motto is um, Mountaineers live free, and I think that you know they probably should have made their motto like you know, we love freedom and leave us the hell alone. <laughs> you know, so
0: there is a, a point where you're kind of getting at which is to the rise of the the real American patriot. And we're seeing that. It's it's people are coming back to faith. They're getting back in their blood the the concept of and and kind of way of living of being defiant. We're seeing more and more examples of people using their constitutional understanding. Oh yeah to even challenge police officers, which they do it respectfully, but it's absolute defiance.
2: Oh, yeah. You saw that on January 6th. Uh, a lot of, nobody wants to talk about that. You know, It's like a taboo subject, but you know, let's face it. Yeah, there were some people down there that rioted, but 90% of the people were down there exercising their First Amendment right to assemble peaceably and make their grievances known to their government. And you had the cops firing off, you know, rounds, uh, smoke grenades and and um, chalk rounds into the crowd. And I remember watching some of the videos of that and seeing people, you know, where at first were supporting the police and were waving thin blue line flags and things like that. And by the end, they were stepping on them. And they were pissed, rightfully so. And then you saw, I think, a continuance. You know, of this division and this kind of like um, this, this rising up of, you know, people standing for freedom. Uh, and, and you saw this division happen like during the COVID period and the lockdowns. You know, in some cases you had officers of the law, you know, essentially violating people's constitutional rights because they're part of this system. Whether they realize it or not, and you know, and they're they're just going or going about doing what they're told to do. But then you had some officers standing out and saying, "I'm not going to do this." I remember, there were sheriffs that said, "You know, I'm gonna." I, I can't remember the name, which sheriff it was, but one sheriff saying, "I'll deputize any American that wants to be deputized, so that nobody can take away his right to carry a gun." You know, it's just it was like. This, this amazing moment in our history where, where this dividing line came down, and I can't help but think about scripture that talks about the separation of the sheep from the goats, you know, and and then in that, that uh, allegory, it's, you know, the goats are you know, representing evil and the sheep representing God's chosen and and this dividing sword just coming down, hitting the table, and everything kind of bouncing around until it separates the two. In some ways, you think about, like, what happened with Twitter, and Twitter was, like, originally, it was, like, this kind of melting pot of, like, everybody, right? And you had, you know, of course, bots, and you had people who were, um, you know, would just sit there and, constantly get on there to do nothing but but uh, go after people and, and try to disrupt them. And the reality is, is that it, it, it was at least a open place, an open forum where different ideas were being thrown out there. And because of that, you know, we saw things like the walk away movement happen. where We had all these people on the left walking away. And I think what happened was I think the left got scared they realized that truth was a dangerous thing and that if people were exposed to the truth, they could be convinced that they were wrong and they could be convinced that maybe they should listen to the other side. And I remember watching videos and seeing these uh, protests and you had guys going out into the protests and, um, and talking to people and like, you know, Steven Crowder and um, and others that would go out and they would talk to people and you would see these guys get up there uh, like these Antifa types and, and or these BLM types and somebody would be engaging in a conversation, you know, with a conservative. And it was like, these minders would come around. They're like, Oh, you can't talk to him. You don't, don't, don't talk to him. And they basically get in between them and cut people off from, From the conversation. And, and, you know, when you see that kind of thing, it it becomes obvious that you're no longer dealing with people that believe in freedom or believe in the Constitution. These people are Marxists, socialists. They are some of the most dangerous type of people that we've ever seen, you know, in mankind's history. I mean, you go back and you look at all of the major mass murders that have taken place, you know, in the 20th century, in the in the oh, and, and you look and you see what's behind it all, it's socialism everywhere you look. And and that's something that I think that we have to be aware of. And there comes a point where as a Christian, you can no longer ignore that. You gotta stand up and fight. And you have to dig down and find that righteous indignation and say, is enough. I'm not going to tolerate this. So, you know, it's kind of like the the concept I can tolerate pretty much just about anything except for intolerance, you know, (laughs) And, and this intolerance of the left that they have towards the right is, is so, uh, so dangerous and so unhealthy. But what, the way they dealt with it was they said, okay, we're just going to just cut everybody off. And so, you know, these types of people took over Twitter and they took over YouTube and they took. And I say take over because it wasn't always like that. You know, they slowly made their way into all of these media groups. They made their way into the Democrat Party. They made their way in to, um, you know, to the National Institutes of of health and science. I mean, you couldn't even post a, I I remember I posted a, uh, a journal entry from the Lancet journal on Twitter. When I got suspended posting a Lancet study, because that study suggested, and this was like early on, the study suggested that, that these scientists that were in India who were they were experts in um, genetic studies and and uh, um, epidemiology and and the evolution of viruses and that sort of thing and they said there's no way that covid evolved Um, there are too many inclusions from other viruses and they said this looks more like something that was manipulated in a lab and i mean that's the you know i'm reason, but that's basically the gist of the project, was that they found, you know, multiple inclusions from like SARS and MERS and HIV and all these other things. They, no way this could have evolved in nature. It would take, you know, something like a million years, you know. <laughs> and I'm, of course, I'm, I don't know the exact numbers, but, but I posted, you know, I posted this study. You know, I wasn't even giving my opinion. I just posted the study and it was enough. My account suspended. And now it appears you are seeing a lot of stuff that are com- that's coming out of you know these Twitter files that's showing the kind of propaganda campaign that was going on and how our media was being manipulated, how the American people were being manipulated. Um, you know, I think Twitter is the tip of the iceberg seeing how the FBI was influencing them.
0: Well, let's dig into that a bit because sure. um This is a part where you are probably one of the only people that we have an open access to that can talk about the inside workings of the FBI. We have an outside perception that's pretty dark of the FBI. What we have witnessed of them in their uh, raids, Mar-a-Lago being one, their arrests January 6th, their informants and and agitators that they place within most of these national groups that literally... Encouraged and and probably designed what they call crimes, led the groups, influenced them to do things that maybe they otherwise wouldn't do. The FBI has a pretty long history of doing some pretty dark things, and it's and yet it has maintained the prior to January sixth, to a large degree, it maintained a an image of being the penultimate law enforcement agency in the country, which today I'd say their brand is more than tarnished. Oh yeah. Can you give a little insight? Cause I think the general, the, the general perception of this name is that they're all bad. And I, I, I have no love for the FBI, just by principle of how they operate within the areas of the constitution or lack thereof. But at the same time, I'm also gonna say that agencies of that magnitude of people that give that much of their lives to the training and requirements of the job Aren't usually, there aren't usually that many people that are bad, though I'm going to leave that to you.
2: So, so I have friends that still work at the FBI. I know people who have never seen, and because they work at some field office, you know, down in, well, I don't want to name the names. <laughs> Let's just say I know somebody that that works at a field office in another state, you know, and he said he's never seen any kind of like, bias on any of the investigations that he's been on. And I believe him. He's a good guy. He's a patriot. But he can't deny what he's seeing that's coming out in the news. So like he's saying, I'm seeing things in the news that I've never seen in my field office. And most of this is, of course, coming and stemming from Washington, D.C. See, there's a cancer in the Bureau in D.C. Now, It makes its way into the field offices because what happens is, you know, field office starts their investigation on something, then, you know, if it has any paint of politics at all, especially if it's either about Democrats, then it's about, then D.C.'s got to step in to cover it up. If it's about Republicans, D.C.'s got to step in to, you know, inflate it and make sure that it, you know, it becomes... Front and center. And um, you know, I, I think uh it Kyle I remember watching some interviews that he did, and he was talking about uh the joint terrorism task force, you know, and how after January 6th, all of a sudden there was this massive push to pull everybody off of all of these actual real terrorism cases, and put them on to these cases where they were going after. American citizens related to January 6th. Now, so back to your question is the, what's really going on. There are good people that are patriots, but they don't have power. They're, they're limited in what they can do. If they speak out uh, or become a whistleblower, then they're no longer going to be in a position of being able to influence anything. So I think some of them keep quiet and are waiting and biting their tongue. I think some of them are just lacking courage because maybe they've got two or three years away from a pension. Um, I think a lot of them are just cog in a wheel. And they're just part of the system. You know, there was studies that were done on university campuses where um, I remember one of the, the studies, I remember learning this in, um, in college in my psychology 101 class where they they talked about this famous case where we hooked up people to electrodes and they were students and there was no electricity going through them, but they had a, a dial and teachers come in the teachers could basically turn the dial up and then press the button and the students were told to act like they were getting shocked and start by you know, behaving like you're just feeling a little bit of a shock if they get the wrong answer. And so they were asked a question. If they get it wrong, they shock them. Well, on the dial, it said, you know, there was like a danger zone, like where it said, don't go past this area. And so the person instructing them, right, kept instructing them to raise, you know, the dial. And, um, and I think they said something like 80% of them went beyond the danger zone. And the students were, you know, were acting like they were, you know, being, you know, uh, they were convulsing and, you know, pretending like they were being shocked at, at major levels. This experiment ended up, you know, there was like a lawsuit or something like that because there was teachers that that were, um, you know, had PTSD after this because so many of them actually obeyed what they were told to do, even though the, even though they knew it was wrong. And this experiment, the reason this experiment came about was, um, it was a test. They were trying to understand why the German Nazis, the guards, were willing to, you know, ma- you know commit. Genocide and mass murder on on Jews and lead people into gas chambers and things like that when they knew it was wrong, and so it was an experiment to understand this concept of of authority, you know, and why people will do things that they know is wrong when they're under this you know authority of somebody else, and I I think that is part of the problem. Uh, Part of the problem in the FBI is that uh, we've got two issues. One is. That the system of authority, and this is a problem not just in the FBI, but it's in any law enforcement, you know, area, is that there is a you're part of this group. There's a strong camaraderie. We see it in the military too. And, and you, I'm sure you can attest to this. There is a an incredible amount of peer pressure to you know, to to be part of the group and to you know to not you don't want to be ostracized from your your peer group. And I think that's part of it. So people go along, even though maybe deep down inside, they know what's going on is wrong. And they don't have that, you know, that moral courage, if you will, to stand up and say no. And, you know, the only reason I had it is because I place a higher value in what God thinks about me than I do about what my fellow employees or you know, and it was probably easier for me being that I was not an agent, I was a contractor. So I didn't have that hanging over my head. I mean, I, th- I feel bad for some of these guys that are like FBI agents because I remember um, a friend of mine, actually, we became friends after he blew the whistle, uh, Pedro uh, Orta. He, he was a CIA whistleblower. And, um, you know, he he went through his ordeal. And, you know, what's a spy to do, you know, when they can no longer be a spy? you know it's like he blew the whistle his career's over so he goes back to school you know, to i think he went to um to school to a uh, seminary you know bible school so it's a pastor it's, you know he doesn't you know it's not like you can just go find another career and for somebody that's in federal law enforcement you know if you lose your job there the likelihood of you know if you are getting a job you know, what, are you going to go become a, a beat cop somewhere? Start over? You know, it, it, it's tough. So I, I sympathize with these guys. And so I think a lot of folks probably feel the same way that most of us feel. They don't agree with it. They don't like it. They're just biding their time until they can retire, you know, get their pension, and get the hell out. That's a lot of it. But a lot of these folks that are coming in, the younger generations especially, um, you know, I'm tired of hearing the old trope of, you know, Oh, you know, the the rank and file are good. It's just the leadership. No, no. There are some, some in the rank and file, uh, that are corrupt, that are of an ideology uh, that is not suitable for people who are in positions of authority. You think about um what are the requirements at the FBI? You know, to get become an agent, you gotta have a degree from a university. And what do we know has happened to all of our universities out there? They have been plagued and overrun by socialists, by people who have this woke ideology. And that woke ideology has made its way into the FBI flat out. Um, when I was I remember when I was in Washington, DC, working at the Bureau, and I remember um, you know, it was not unusual to see like where they had these like uh I can't remember what they called them, but they were like these meetings that you could attend, and you could get out of work and go to these meetings. And they were like ally meetings for homosexuality, for um, Black Lives Matter. Uh, they had this. Um, I remember one time one of the things that actually I was really concerned about, and I, I can't remember if I wrote my congressman about. It. I think I did, but um, they had an imam come in. To, you know, for this, uh, uh, it, it was a, a program that they put together to kind of bring, you know, people together to meet with this imam, you know, to, you know, so he could talk about Islam and talk about Islamic culture and and, and break down the fear of that. Right. And, and I'm all I'm totally fine with, you know, the idea that, you know, hey, we all got to learn to get along. And, um, you know, especially as diverse as our country is tolerance is a good thing i think but i was just curious because you know I, I saw so much of this stuff and so i just looked this guy up and the guy that they had hired to come into the fbi to talk about solidarity and all this stuff with you know islam um had been had had multiple speeches where he had basically you know, been very anti-America, you know, and kind of called for death to America and stuff. And this is the guy they're bringing into the FBI. And this was under Comey, so so they've been bringing in these you know these ideology. They've been put, you know, just like any other social group. Eventually, you know, it seeps in. I remember when I was working for the Navy, I was a, um, a Navy civilian at uh, Pearl Harbor Navy Shipyard, and this was like back in 2012, and they had. They had these, uh, you know, sexual harassment, you know, classes that we were all forced to take. And I'll never forget the one that really shocked me because, you know, I'm, you know, I'm a married man. And, you know, it's not half the time I go to these classes. I'm like, why am I here? You know, I'm not out there, you know, trying to hit on women and stuff like that, you know. And but I, I realized, okay, yeah, there's a lot of other guys here that are. So maybe they need this class. But I remember sitting through one of them. And they had this uh, situation where you had a group of people who were uh, all worked for the Navy. They were all civilians and they they were on a TDY. They were out, you know, doing some conference or something. And the scenario, this is like, you know, a, a mock video. And the scenario is one of the, they're all sitting at the bar drinking alcohol. Okay. And one of the girls goes, well, I'm going to head back to my room. And, and the guy goes, "Oh, you, would you like me to walk you back to your room?" And and she says, "Yeah, sure." And so he's walking her back to the room, and they get to the doorway of her room, and and um, and she turns around to say goodnight to him, and he leans in to give her a kiss, and then the you know the video stops and goes, "Oh, this is this is a, a sexual assault," <laughs> and everybody in the room's like, "What?" You know, like she was giving all the signals that she you know that this guy was uh, you know this guy was, was, was being led all night long, you know, in the, in the bar and the conversation that, you know, that he might have a chance to, uh, you know, for a date with this girl or whatever. And so, and I remember hearing all the guys in the room were like, what the heck, you know, because this wasn't like an obvious thing that he wasn't her boss. There wasn't some weird sort of thing. They were just coworkers and they were out of town together, but you know, it, it showed me something that, that we were heading in a direction where things that once, were considered, you know, just maybe this guy got the wrong, you know, mixed signals. You know, it wasn't like he tried to rape or anything like that. He just leaned in. That's it. And, but they were starting to associate things, you know, with, with sexual assault that had never been associated with sexual assault before. And there was no responsibility whatsoever, you know, on the woman in this case, Um, you know, when the guy asked, Hey, you know, would you like me walking? you back to your room maybe she should have said no (laughs) and and when she said she stuck up her hand when the guy trying to lean in the guy backed off okay maybe that's good enough but they were saying that for something like that it should be reported as a sexual assault and this was in the navy so they've been working on this for a long time trying to break down you know the rules of society and break down what is normal? I mean, look at what's happening right now with all of this stuff with, you know, transgenderism and um, and their normalization of it. And, you know, it's one thing for consenting adults to do whatever they want to do behind closed doors. It's a completely another thing when they're trying to promote this in elementary schools and, you know, grade schools, uh, you know, drag queen story hour and stuff like that. So that same problem that's been happening in society is also happening in the FBI. That's the point I'm trying to, to make about this. You can go into the FBI store in J, in the J, J. Edgar Hoover building and find, you know, gay memorabilia that, you know, promoted in the FBI store. Um, you can go into the FBI headquarters and you walk by where the, where the store is and you'll see a bathroom sign that has half a man and half a woman picture I'm not kidding this stuff has been going on for some time now in the bureau along with all other federal agencies for that matter all of it started by the way uh you know by um, the Obama administration and then and the problem is when Trump came in Trump had no control over the FBI or the Department of Justice not from not from day one so all the way until he left he never once had control over that executive, Agency, and so all that stuff continued to go on.
0: So I want to go back here, sure, to when we did our first interview, and I want to touch on something because I think you can talk a little bit more about it now. The first interview actually was spawned by a piece that Monkey Works and I did, which was looking at the Club K missile systems, and you had made a, a post that said this is as accurate as I've seen of the intelligence that I know. And I'm not asking you to dig too deep past what you're uncomfortable with, but what I want you to kind of frame is how bad things were at that critical, at those times, what you had discovered. Because I, I think we forget, like we we're a lot farther down the road than we could have been had there not been a major effort, not only to the awakening of truth, but towards whatever else is going on behind the scenes. And I think we can agree on that.
2: Oh, yeah. No, things are, things are bad. Um, and, and I would say they're still um, very bad in relation to where our eyes are. Uh, you know, within uh, within the intelligence community, I believe that there's way too much focus on things that are not a threat to the United States, like patriots that just love their country and you know want the right to own a gun, and there's not enough focus quite frankly on china and um iran and some of our other enemies like venezuela a lot of people don't realize half of what's going on most of which i can't even talk about but um it's like suffice to say that all this stuff that we see down and you know going on down on the border that uh, this porous open border uh, we've got some major threats coming into this country and i don't think people's eyes are where they should be You know, all of the fentanyl that's coming into our country, all the precursor chemicals are coming from China, all of them. And what are we doing to stop that? Nothing. So, you know, there's a lot happening. Uh, There's a lot of threats to this country. I think the threats have shifted. Uh, I don't think it's as much the Middle East anymore as it once was. I think the threat is has shifted majorly towards China, And, you know, and then domestically, I think they're completely, they've got it wrong. They're looking at American patriots. I mean, remember, it was the, I think the FBI had them, like one of their guides or something like that, that the Gats, Gadsden flag, you know, was now a sign of, you know, of domestic terrorists or similar <laughs> domestic terrorists. Right. I mean, you know, the the don't tread on me. You know our founders have got to be rolling in their graves right now, but yet you had um, groups, some of them actually from you know, and you're you're uh, you're part of the uh, the states. Um, you know, I don't know what it is about Portland, Oregon, man. <laughs> that, that place is
0: a hotbed. I remember. It's, well, I remember. I just want to say this: the FBI was involved in helping some of that hotbed. Oh, evolve, I'm sure so.
2: they did. Listen, I, I I remember reading a report. That actually identified Portland, Oregon, as like having the highest number of like domestic terrorist, you know, threats to the country, and that was like when I first got there, right? And I'll never forget because I was seeing these reports, and then I'm watching, you know, Comey and then Ray go before Congress and basically pretending like Antifa didn't exist and like they didn't never even. I remember one of them saying like, you know, I don't think it's an, it's not organized. It's not an organized organization. You know, meanwhile, I remember my son was working at, um, Oh gosh, where was it? He was working at a restaurant up in Frederick and he sits there and and he goes to a table and there's an Antifa group meeting at this restaurant and they're discussing their plans to go and disrupt, you know, and and cause havoc down in D.C., and they were clearly organized, you know. So, so there was a lot of like, just I don't know if it was denial. I don't know if it was intentional. But one thing I can tell you that was really interesting was the FBI was funding the Southern Poverty Law Center, and I remember seeing these documents, and I, I thought they were it was atrocious. And some of the you know everybody knows me as the uranium one whistleblower, but. 450 something pages that I turned over and there was a lot of stuff, not just Uranium One, but in, it included some things like, you know, look, the FBI spending money on this far left, you know, uh, organization. Um, they were paying, making payments to, you know, the Southern Poverty Law Center to, to do things like help them identify, you know, uh, homegrown extremists, you know, hges I think they called them. You know, and uh, and of course, I remember seeing that like Antifa was nowhere to be found on this. You know, group. there was not a single socialist group listed by this organization. They had one of the organizations they had on there, and I can't remember the name of it, but it was a Christian uh, group that was associated with um, uh, what do they call it? Basically, uh, where they take people who are homosexuals and they try to retrain them to you know, be straight and uh, conversion therapy. I think they call it, they had a list of <laughs> the conversion therapy thing, which mind you is not forced. It's like, you know, these are people who voluntarily go to these conversion therapy groups or whatever. They had a group like that listed as a terrorist group in the United States. Yet they didn't have any of these like socialist groups with guns <laughs> you know, listed. So um, so that was one of the things I was concerned about It's like where where is the FBI getting their information from? You know, are they getting a one-sided you know picture here because maybe they're relying a little bit too much on, you know, these groups that clearly have an agenda. And uh, so I was concerned about that.
0: Looking ahead, Nate sure. and and as we look ahead here, this is um, kind of a big thing is so I just want to kind of close out with these thoughts and uh, your thoughts on this. There is a lot of mm-hmm. distrust in our government. And you've seen on the inside the, the level of corruption. And I would also add, as you've described it, apathy or lack of will to stand up for the right thing. I'm one that has a lot of hope as we go forward because I'm seeing the patriot Christian foundation, the, uh, the spiritual nature of this nation rise. What do you see and kind of what are your thoughts to people having been through a pretty rough ride yourself to get to where you are? What, would, what are your thoughts of wisdom on this whole place?
2: I have read through 1st and 2nd Kings and 1st and 2nd Chronicles recently, and I was astounded by pattern. I've read this before, but it's like sometimes you read some, through something and you don't see something, and then you read it again and you see something because it's relevant to your time. And what I saw there was over and over again, you had these things that would rise up and Maybe they'd be righteous, and then they'd fall, or they'd die. And then the people had become complacent, and they'd become evil. And then God would allow an evil leader to rise up and would bring terrible suffering. And then the people would cry out, and they would ask for God's help, ask for relief, and he would hear their cry. And something would change. And then there would be a new leader. And I saw, you see this over and over again. And so I look at like, our country is no different, right? You know, we have, we go, you know, the different, maybe the only difference is we elect our leaders. We don't have kings. But even in those elections, I do believe that God is sovereign. And even though we vote, I do believe that God allows things to happen. You know, Trump, I think is Probably one of the greatest presidents we've ever had in terms of like his foreign policy and his domestic policy and just the, it's his agenda and his willingness to speak truth, you know, that maybe people, some people didn't want to hear, but the fatal flaw that I saw happen during his, you know, his campaign. And I remember there was this moment at one of the, one of his uh, events and it was nothing that trump did i always saw trump would get up there he would speak and he'd be bold but you know he he was always careful to point to god i remember one time him saying you know ah, some of these people say i'm the most powerful man in the world but you know but actually there's one more powerful you know than me it's jesus christ i remember him saying that a lot of people don't know that so even though he comes across as an arrogant person sometimes i do believe that there was a humility that he had but that people began to put too much faith in him. And I remember there was this uh um event that he had where the crowd was just chanting, you know, we love you. We love you. And there's nothing wrong with that. Don't, don't get me wrong on that. I, I do. I love Trump. I thought he was a great president, but I felt like people's eyes had become so focused on Trump to save them. that clearly they had kind of missed, you know, They'd miss the one who really truly could save us in our nation, which is God. And so I think God's taken a step back a little bit and said, okay, you know what? America, you guys gotta wake up. No man can save you. It's gonna have to be God that saves this nation. Now he'll use men. He'll use men, but ultimately, I think it's I think that's where we're at right now. I think we're we're in a place in our country where We're under this like judgment, if you will, and that's why that's why you look around, you see the evil. So it's like it's so just in your face. It's not even trying to hide anymore. It used to be, you know, people did evil things, but they did it behind closed doors. Now, not only are they doing it out in the open, they're trying to make it so that that everybody normalizes that kind of behavior out in the open. Trying to normalize pedophilia. I mean, this is just a. It's a. It's a level of evil, like nothing I've ever seen in my life. But if you can go back in history and you can see when this has happened before. So I don't think this is like the apocalypse. You know, some people see what's happening and they think, Oh, you know, that's it. I'm done. I'm not going to vote anymore. I'm not going to participate in this madness anymore. I am simply going to, you know, shut my eyes and, and cloister myself off. Maybe go buy a, you know, go buy some land out in the middle of nowhere and I'm just going to wait for Jesus to return. I think there's a lot of folks that kind of, that's their attitude, whether they're, whether that's a more reflective thought pattern or or they're actually doing it. I think there's a lot of people in that place, but we're not there. That's not where we are. The fact is, is that you see over and over again, when people cry out to God, when they ask for God to turn things around, he does, he hears them. And that's what he's waiting for. He's just looking for enough people to stand up and say, you know, God, we need you to turn things around. And then he will, you know, break through and send his angels and, you know, and start delivering us from the evil that we're seeing. I really do believe that. So I do have hope and I am beginning to see some things. For one, I believe that God's called me and I believe that But I'm not the only one. I think that there's probably several other people who've also, you know, been called to run and probably others, you know, who are going to be called in the next several months to blow the whistle. And we're going to begin to see, you know, some things happen, I think, that are going to be shocking, but also necessary for us to come to a place where we can heal as a nation. I think we have to see things get exposed. And one thing that I would say that is important to remember, um, I think we saw a pretty awesome demonstration on the house floor during the of the uh, during the voting on the um, figure of the house. Matt Gates held his ground and whether, you know, there's a lot of people that I've heard some things, you know, on the right from some folks that don't, don't agree with what he did, but What I actually appreciate about what he did is he stood his ground against a lot of pressure and he did it, you know, without getting violent. And even when somebody tried to, you know, know, lunge towards him and take a swing, he just sat there and smiled. We think that's what we have to do. I don't think that violence is necessarily the answer. We're not at that place and I hope we never get there. But I do think that we have to stand our ground.
0: I fully agree. Go
2: ahead. You know, when the FBI, when the FBI comes when the FBI comes to your door and wants to come into your house and talk to you, you got to stand your ground and say, uh, you're not coming into my house without a warrant. You have to know your rights and then stick by them. Um, you know, if you've got a I think we're going to see more cases go to the Supreme Court uh, that are going to that are going to end up Being ruled in favor of the Constitution. Uh, Even though we have some pretty bad, you know, bad justices on the Supreme Court, I do believe we have enough good justices that will uphold the Constitution for most issues. And we're beginning to see that. One of the greatest things that Trump did in his presidency was appoint 20 judges that, um, you know, do have some semblance of, you know, belief in the Constitution. And so I think the courts are going to. You know they're going to solve a lot of these, um, you know, a lot of these issues. I think for us, but it takes time. It's not. It's not a quick I mean, It's not meant to be. But I think that's one of the ways that God can help to restore things is through our courts. It's something that God spoke to me um, back in December after 2020. Um, I was down in D.C. working on election integrity issues, and I, I came away from that just so just upset and 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 just frustrated because I worked really, really hard. And um, there was a lot of evidence of irregularities and things that, that were violations of the law. And it seemed like nothing, you know, it seemed like none of the major groups were even talking about it. They were focused on, you know, foreign hacking and all this other stuff that you couldn't prove. And even though there was a lot of stuff that was legit, you know, just violations of the law, like things that records management, things that, you know, people were destroying um, ballot envelopes, you know, against the law, against the the Civil Rights Act of 1968, where they're supposed to maintain these things for, you know, for two years. And these are felonies. And yet nobody was pursuing these. Um, so there was a lot of things that were very frustrating about that. But I remember praying and asking God, what is going on? And he said, you'll find your answers in Amos chapter five. So I opened it up. And I looked in there and all throughout Amos chapter five, it's talking about how there was no justice in the courts. There was no justice for the poor. There was no justice for those that tell the truth um, that people who you know speak the truth in, in court, you know, that they, you know, that, that they were, you know, there was people bearing false witness and there was no, nothing happening to them. It was all of, everything was about injustice, but specifically in the courts, and the very end of that, it was this this verse that said, "Hate uh, what is evil and seek good." It says, "And maintain justice in the courts, and perhaps, perhaps, God will relent." It wasn't a guarantee, but it was a perhaps, because what what the country was experiencing was it was all these these uh, this indictment against the nation of Israel for allowing injustice to occur. And then it was basically God saying, this is what the judgment's going to come as a result of that. And then at the very end saying, you know, if you hate what is evil, you seek what is good, and you maintain justice in the courts, then perhaps I will relent. So, so I believe that God is working on our nation. I believe that it's going to take people crying out to him, people asking for him to heal their land, people humbling themselves and praying seeking his face right but also it's going to take the courts turning things around and it's going to take us maintaining justice in the courts and that means lawsuits it means people filing suits in the courts all the way up to the supreme court and if we maintain that and if we continue to fight that fight and it may take a while i believe we will win and eventually things will turn around and and that's my hope
0: I think it's more than a hope because I think that's the direction we're going. And it's a good, it's, those are good words, Nate, they really are. So where can people find you?
2: So, uh, Twitter still has not, um, unbanned, banned my account, uh, but I am on true social. And I'm pretty active on true social as MC Pota. And that's at M C P O T A. And, uh, that is, uh, that was my code name as a whistleblower. So I chose it as my true social accountant, and. And, uh, and I'm like I said, I'm very active on there, but I'm also on every other social media uh, with my campaign account. Uh, and that is, uh, Nate Kane, the number four WV, not including on Twitter. And, uh, so I am on Twitter with Nate Kane, uh, for West Virginia or for WV, as well as everywhere else like Gab, you know, Parler, um, Facebook, Instagram, although I don't really do a lot with Instagram, but i got to find somebody to help me with that. <laughs> it' trying to maintain all these different accounts, man, and stuff. So, so I post, I post usually, I'll post on MC Poda. And then um, when I have a chance to, then I'll try to copy that to everything else. And um, that's awesome. But yeah. And then my webpage uh, for my campaign is Nate Kane, that's C-U-I-N dot win, just like it sounds, W-I-N. Say it again: Nate Kane dot win
0: natekane.win
2: yes for all my social media accounts it's at, uh, natekane4wv and by the way natekane4wv.com will also get you to the same web page for my white page uh but natekane.win i think it's just easy to remember plus two i like i like saying it <laughs> cuz it's a positive
0: i didn't realize they'd put a uh...
2: I know. Right. So when I was looking for, I was looking for natekane..com and, uh, and some young kid, you know, who posts all his family photos is, you know, is up there. So I'm like, I tried to, to offer him some money to buy it from him, but you know, he wouldn't take it. So, so yeah, so I had to go with uh, natekane.win win, and uh, so win or natekane.org or uh, natekane 4 wvcom So those are the, the options, but
0: so it's Nate King when I just checked it out. So it's awesome. It's good.
2: And that's where people can find out where I stand on the issue because I'm running as an America first candidate. So it's the same you uh, the same policies that, that Trump was running on. I think he had some really good ideas about things and and that's that's where I stand on it. But you can find out a lot more about me and get more detail on my bio and stuff. So
0: Well, that's awesome. Well, Nate, we always close with a prayer, and if it's okay, we'll do a prayer. Absolutely. Father, I want to thank you for this blessed meeting. And just this great conversation with someone who's really put at risk so much of his life for truth and who's also kept his faith in you. What a shining example for so many. We need strong light in the darkness to remind us of the commitment to that walking in faith as we speak truth even in the the most difficult of circumstances. We just pray for the blessings and the resources to come to Nate as he pushes forward with what he's been called to do, to step in, to run for Congress, to bring a, a strong voice, a much-needed voice to this nation, and a very powerful reason and insight into the sorts of changes that we need to steer things back to a nation centered with you on the throne and our faith before us. And so we ask that you will protect him and guide him, continue to bless him in all he does. And we say these things in Christ Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Really wish you well, Nate. And we'll have you back on the show because I want to keep pace on what you're doing. I really appreciate your time today. Uh, You've got a lot on your plate, and um, but I think you're going to do well. It's, it's a much needed voice. So thank you. Thank you.
2: Yeah, and there's some things coming up here that um, we'll definitely want to talk about fairly soon, probably in the next maybe two or three weeks that are going on that uh, – um, I'm not quite at liberty yet to talk about, but they're, they're exciting. And they're things that that I think are important to national security and, and that sort of thing. So
0: it's awesome. Well, brother, stay in touch. We'll do. We'll talk more soon. And uh, God bless you. You too. So Patriots, that was Nate Kane. And uh, great guy. He's become a good friend over this time since he, he and I first connected. And that connection happened way back, like three years ago, I think, when Monkey Works and I did a piece together on uh, Club K Missile Systems. So it was pretty interesting. So thank you for being here. We'll be back. I'll be back here in a little while with Fishers of Men. So keep your head up and your eyes forward. Never bow to evil. Never relent. Always press into the fight. God is with us. He'll never forsake us. And in the end, God always wins. But we are here In this time, in this place, for just such a time as this. We are at war, so walk boldly and fearlessly with Christ. Occupy the land, expand the kingdom, subdue the enemy. Mission forward. Patriots, I'll see you this evening for Fishers of Men. Until then or until the next time, God bless and out for now.
1: We shall pay any price, bear any burden, meet any hardship that some would have us stay where we are a little longer, to rest, to wait. But this city of Houston, this state of Texas, this country of the United States was not built by those who waited and rested and wished to look behind them. This country was conquered by those who move forward, and so will space. We choose to go to the moon in this decade and do the other thing